0: The reason why we had the warnings on the sign out front is uh, because we're going to be dealing with a whole series of adult subject matter uh, from everything from my intro into the passage we're about to cover. But what we're ultimately talking about today is church discipline. And there's not many of us that grew up or have been around where that has been taught, at least taught in a healthy way or, or an approachable way. And so we're going to be talking about that today. So I want to start on a lighter note, on, on something that is, well, listen, it's not a huge deal, but it's, it's kind of important to me. And that is, let's set some house rules on a couple things real quick. Number one, I've talked to you about this before, you know when the service starts, get here. (laughs) Number two, don't leave before it's over. There's your other thing, right? Now on Sundays, there's a great temptation. I understand it completely. There's a great temptation to go, uh, I'm never going to be able to get my car out of the parking lot if I don't hurry up. I'm never going to be able to check out my kids without taking forever because I got to go get in line. And there's a great temptation to try to Jump the gun, right? We, you know, Olympic time before the gun sounds. We're already off. Okay, don't get up and leave until the service is over. I know I go long. I get that, right? I, I, so far I have promised to the first two services that by the time I'm 85, I will rectify that. That is a guarantee to you. All right. Now, up until that point, no promises. Now I know I know I'm going to go long. We have hour and a half services. That's longer than most. I understand that I drag that out, but. What you need to do is go into on a Sunday service and say, I'm in it for whatever God has for me. And you just lock in and settle in. There are some uh, other styles of churches in the area that are completely comfortable with three-hour services. Now, we're not, we're not going to go that route, but I just need us to understand, it's not the end of the world to be able to lock in. The other thing is, um, for because especially on Sundays, we kind of pack out the place Uh, We have a lot of folks that are in the back. All right. Now, I've always had to be a front row sitter because maybe I'm ADD. I get super distracted about everything. Uh, So I can't sit in the back. Now, some folks have to sit in the back uh, for a variety of reasons. Here's what we need to do. We need to respect them by not walking in front of them all service long. Okay. So there are some of us in here that our bodies actually will not allow us To sit through the entire time. There's no way that's going to happen. There are folks where their number comes up for their kids. They have to get up and go out. There's a million wonderful appropriate reasons to have to excuse yourself. Totally get that. Don't judge those people, right? However, if you are in the back, it is a constant parade of people going behind you and in front of you and all this stuff while worship is going on. And it's very distracting. I need them to be able to engage with the Lord just as much as everybody else final things you're like man you're getting hard oh yeah we haven't even got started yet (laughs) but now you're scared to leave so it doesn't matter (laughs) that's how i set it up right all right (laughs) the 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 last two things are tied in together and and that is this uh please out out of respect don't complain about what's free what do I mean? I mean coffee. Okay. The, the coffee's free. <laughs> okay. So if you walk up there and you go, seriously, this is all you guys got. Hold on. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I have only have smart. I like things to say. I'm sorry. Hold on. Got to clear my head. All right. <laughs> uh, that's called a filter. Um, here's the deal it's just coffee. That's all we're saying. It's just coffee and it's there. And we usually are supposed to go, Hey, thanks. Right. You know, to the folks that are serving it is kind of what I'm saying. Um, now (laughs) uh, we have the most beautiful hospitality team, the sweetest people in the entire world. And for them to be hassled is a little rough. All right. And the other folks that get hassled is the folks that watch your children. Um, I need you to understand they are not paid They were sitting right next to you in worship last service, and they are watching and investing in your children for an hour and a half plus because of me, and when you go pick them up and you kind of are snippy to them, that's not acceptable, all right? What we need to do is go, man, you just invested in our family for an hour and a half. That's incredible. Thank you so much. You could have been in service with me, but you decided to step out and serve instead. What an incredibly selfless thing to do. That's the appropriate response for those folks. And you know, because a lot of you serve, you're back there, you know how hard it is. And when parents come back and they're really in your face, that's that's just kind of hard. So, so anyway, that was my little whiplash correction time on all of us. And like I said, obviously it's a little bit lighter of a note, but just understand, and it's really important that everyone is respected here now then What i'm about to share with you as we transition into today's message is difficult However, for the majority of you it is not new uh, quick show of hands. How many of you have been following the penn state scandal raise your hand All right. That's the vast majority of you For those of you that do not know the details. I need to make a rather startling point point. By sharing with you this story, a gentleman by the name of Joe Paterno was the longtime head coach of Penn State football. He was not just a coach, he was an extraordinary coach. He was not just a regular guy, he was a man known to be extraordinary. He was the face of the entire college. He ran everything from a political point of view. Joe Paterno runs a football program that last year brought in $53 million by itself. That's a huge program. He is the all-time winningest college coach in Division I sports history with 409 wins. He coached the Penn State Nittany Lions for 62 seasons, won two national championships, had five unbeaten seasons, and victories in 24 college bowls, including all five of the majors. He is in the College Football Hall of Fame with more awards than I could possibly list for you. He is arguably, stated on sports radio, top five of the most respected coaches in sports history for behavior and attitude. Sporting News named him 13th, this is just last year, named him 13th out of the top 50 greatest coaches of all time in any sport. Big deal. During his tenure, he and his wife personally donated, out of philanthropy, $4 million to Penn State University. He was loved by his students, and his statue graces the front of Beaver Stadium. He is Penn State. Now, you have to understand, that's hyper-respected. However, this year, on January 22, 2012, Joe passed away from lung cancer, and he passed away a tormented, sad man tarnished in reputation his name has been removed from almost every award that holds his name and the statue of him from the school was removed what happened from one year to the next in a six month period everything changed what happened is this story a gentleman by the name of jerry sandusky who is the father of six adopted children and a foster parent to numerous children over the years, served for 30 years on the football staff under Joe Paterno from 1969 to 1999. In 1977, he founded a charity for underprivileged and at-risk youth known as Second Mile. It is one of the parts of the 20,000 children that come through the campus of Penn State every summer. That's a huge amount of kids. Though prep for following Paterno into the head coach spot of Penn State, he was denied because of his focus on charity and children. He retired in 1999 from Penn State with a generous severance and focused full-time on his charity which allowed him to house football camps at the university, and he had full access to all facilities. He was called by Paterno, quote, a person of great character and integrity. George Bush, Sr., called his charity a shining example of charity work. So how did these two men, who were respected to that degree, take down Penn State, which will largely be nothing football sports-wise for the next Four years. Because in 1998, a state college psychologist received a call from a woman whose son was in Paterno's summer camp. And he told her a story of how Jerry Sandusky uh, held him, picked him up, was up against him in the shower room together. He gave a graphic incident. The mom then called the college. And it was notified that it was passed on by to the police and her colleagues from the psychologist. The police questioned the boy who ultimately said it wasn't a big deal because he felt like the luckiest kid in the world to be able to sit on the sidelines of Penn State football. The child was interviewed by another psychologist, heard the exact same story, and he deemed no evidence of sexual abuse and recommended telling Sandusky to be more appropriate in his behavior. Sandusky talked to the mother asked for her forgiveness and said I wish I were dead Knowing full well what he did he said he wouldn't shower with the children again The case was dropped the school was notified, but they did nothing in 1999 and 2000 the janitor staff Witnessed sandusky having sexual contact consistently in the showers with boys Over and over and over again, but they did not say anything because they're afraid they would lose their jobs In 2001, a lower level assistant coach was going into the locker room on a Friday night at 9 p.m. to put his shoes away. He saw what he believed was Jerry Sandusky raping a young boy in the showers. He slammed the locker to let them know that he was there. He then the next morning went to Joe Paterno and said, this is what I saw. Quote, Joe Paterno slumped back in his chair with a sad and shocked look on his face, said, I'm sorry you had to see that, but it is now responsibility is on me to make sure that this is handled appropriately. Paterno notified the athletic director, but ultimately nothing was done about the situation. Paterno later admitted that he was a man of an earlier generation and he could not wrap his mind around the idea of homosexuality, much less rape or molestation of a boy. And he didn't know what to do with it, and so he stuffed it. In 2009, parents of a boy reported inappropriate sexual conduct with their son by Sandusky over a four-year period from when he was 10 years old to 14 years old. In 2011, a flood of information hit the news. Sandusky was arrested and charged with 48 counts of molestation regarding eight boys from 1994 to 2009. Additionally, one of Sandusky's adopted sons also reported molestation by him The now 68 year old Sandusky was convicted on 45 of the 48 charges due to an overwhelming evidence And he currently faces up to 422 years in prison Penn State upon that judgment paid $500,000 a month for an eight-month-long investigation ...by a former FBI director with the last name of Free. He wrote a report based on over 3 million documents and 400 interviews. It is known as the Free Report. The Free Report is in excess of 200 pages. It said, these are our findings. Quote, the key leadership, the president of the college, vice president, athletic director and coach... ...demonstrated callous and shocking disregard for child victims. Joe Paterno, the most powerful man at Penn State, failed to take any steps... For 14 years to protect the children Ultimately the president stepped down Paterno died And the VP and AD are now under charges of lying to the grand jury And failing to report abuse The NCAA who judges and manages all college sports Leveled sanctions against Penn State recently They leveled the following fines A $60 million fine against the school where all the money will go to children's programs. They are to vacate all wins from 1998 to 2011 on the books. That includes 111 wins by Paterno, dropping him from 1st to 12th. There is a four-year ban on the postseason. They will play no bowl games. They will play no playoffs. They will play no end-of-the-year football. For four years, they are reduced their scholarships from 25 to 15, which is the way you get in new good athletes. For five years, they are on probation with a mandatory monitor being hired to watch the school at all times. And their current athletes are given the option of trading schools without any penalty immediately, or if they would like, they can ride their full scholarships out and not play sports at all. Bottom line is this. Joe Paterno never touched a child. Joe Paterno Largely, depending on Jerry Sandusky, it is believed that he did not see him to be a pedophile. The family issued a statement. However, Joe Paterno's entire legacy is destroyed. Why? Because of how he handled a discipline issue. He did not act on the information he knew. Why is that so important? Because rules matter People need to be safe People need to be peaceful and they need to know that authority is going to follow through What does that matter to us? It's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you As part of god's house church has rules as part of god's house Church has rules. In our last passage, Paul the Apostle just said, I need to bring in some correction. You are way out of line. And I'm about to bring down the hammer and there's some specific issues we need to deal with. Now, no one likes to be corrected. And I understand that here in this church and what I'm going to try to do today is not only talk about the issues in scripture, but also reveal to you how we handle things as a bridgeway church about church discipline. Kind of pull back the curtain and allow you to see kind of how things are handled. And I understand people don't like, hey, why are you getting on my case? Why are you getting in my face? Why are you trying to do this? Why are you always blocking me on this? Why are you causing a problem? Because it is necessary. That's why. Do we like it? Absolutely not. Every elder that is on this team knows full well how human they are. They know everything about how wicked their own hearts are. They know everything about what it is to struggle. They know all those issues. So when we are called to do church discipline, it is with only humility that we do so. We are to fulfill a role based on what the Lord has asked us to do. Does it make the rest of us agitated, especially when it comes down on us? The answer is yes. Do we have boundaries and rules? Yes. Will we maintain those? Absolutely. We have a massive security team and a force here. We have all kinds of parameters and barriers, and we follow up on what we're asked to do. Every time? No, we're human. Do we do our best? Yes. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5? First Corinthians chapter five is not a long chapter, but it's a powerful and brutal chapter in the sense of how Paul handles things. It's things that maybe if you're new to the church, you're not comfortable listening to or hearing about, but it's nevertheless in scripture and it needs to be talked about. Let's read through it and then we'll pray for it and talk about it. It says this. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For although absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you'd need to go out of the world But now i'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality Or greed or as an idolater reveler drunkard or swindler Not even to eat with such a one For what I have to do with judging outsiders Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside purge the evil person from among you. Wow, is it getting any heavier than that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we offer up our lives to you today, and we ask that you would teach us and guide us and direct us, open up our understanding to what we ought to do. Lord, that indeed we are broken people, we are wicked people, we're all messed up, and we're all over the map. But Lord, I know that your grace is sufficient, I know that you are loving and kind, and yet you are just and pure and holy. And how we balance all that is very, very difficult in our limited understanding. So what we ask, Lord, is that you would guide us into truth and guide us into life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go through that. Verse 1, it is actually reported, meaning it's already hit the news. I already know about it, and I'm not even Corinth, Paul said. I mean, I'm out here. It's reported there's sexual immorality among you. Now, that word sexual immorality is a big, huge term, a broad term that brings in any improper sexual practice. So you can go through is that fornication, adultery, uh, bestiality, all these different things that are, that are denied in scripture. You can look at all those and they're all actually under the large category of sexual immorality. It is actually reported there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Meaning we're not even getting to the issue of man who's sleeping with who and what about that adultery and fornication and we haven't even got to any of that stuff. We just jumped the shark went way over the top. Now we're in incest. How did we get there? Seriously, it's not even I mean if we want to go Old Testament Paul was saying if we want to go Old Testament. Do you understand what goes on incest having sex within your family structure is punishable by death. It's stoning That's what leviticus says. How would the jews have handled this? You're dead. It's not. How's it going to work out in therapy? You just die And yet not only is it to the jewish mind just way out there, but the romans now you have to understand Corinth is part of the roman empire and they were all about sex I mean, it was just remember. I told you this is vegas strip church. Remember? I mean, it's, it's straight up alcohol, money, sex all the time. That's what this culture was. He's saying, listen, they think it's weird. If you got the world looking at the church going, man, you guys are off. I don't even know what's, what you guys are doing. That's way out of line. Something's wrong. Cicero, Roman historians all record that they said incest, no, we're not doing that. We may do all kinds of funky stuff, but we don't do that. They even said it was unacceptable. And Paul goes, wait a second. This is going on, public knowledge, in your church. Now, how does that work? I mean, you look at that and you go, man, that's creepy. How would that work? Hold on. Go into an ancient mindset. Go into a whole other culture. And here's why. It may be a bit more uncomfortably normal than you might assume for example arranged marriages everyone's kind of slightly disconnected the older man tends to marry the younger woman so by and large the son may well still be older than the wife this is a stepmom, by all there's another way to say if it's his real mom it's not his real mom this is a woman that his dad met somewhere she's just a woman outside the family now suddenly is in the family it seems to suggest we don't know but it seems to suggest dad is still alive They've separated now the son is with her It doesn't say whether or not they're married doesn't say whether or not they're living together It says that they're having a sexual relationship that according to the way greek is written. It appears to be ongoing So when you look through all that and you're like man, this is kind of complicated look at the next phrase that makes it worse verse two And you're arrogant Now are we supposed to take that as you're arrogant like you're proud of this in your church? Or are we supposed to say, what are you arrogant about when you got something blatantly going on in your midst? Because uh, Corinth was super arrogant. Man, we got the spiritual gifts. We're hardcore. We can do, you know, God loves us. We're way advanced. We're better than everybody else. Right? What, what are you arrogant about? Is this not going on? Now, if they're indeed arrogant about the actual issue, why would they be arrogant about that? Let's say that that's the case. Here's the creepy thing. I could see that happening now here. You go, what? Let me roll this scenario with you. Do you not take a certain level of pride about the fact that we have a very grace filled, accepting environment? Do you not have a certain feeling when you walk into Bridgeway that we're not witch hunting and trying to tear down everybody and micromanage everyone's lives and search into everybody's business? Isn't there a certain degree that you feel peaceful knowing that we understand that we're all wicked and grace is required? Can you not see that being taken to the nth degree and going, you know what? Hey, there's liberty in Christ. I'm not into it, but here's the deal. We're not going to judge this guy. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens in people's lives. And you know what? Even the rabbis, even though it was denied by the Old Testament and the Mishnah, there's actually rabbinical circles that were arguing whether or not if the son did marry a stepmother whether or not they should be allowed to remain together If he learned about it after the fact that it was wrong So, I don't know man, it's a gray area and if it's a gray area, we're not sitting here getting into everybody's business I'm pretty proud of our church for allowing that to go on Huh At what point did we cross the line? you arrogance. Ought you not rather to mourn seriously like for the dead Paul said Let him who has done this be removed from among you Now that's extreme language. Are they telling him to take him out and shoot him? They are not What does it mean to be removed? Excommunicated kicked out of the church Does that happen here? Yes It does Let me give you an understanding about how we work here as far as church discipline In the 15 years that i've been the pastor here I can only recall three incidents that we have asked someone to leave our congregation Does it happen a lot? No, sure doesn't. It's extremely rare. It's extremely uncomfortable. Here's the pattern on how things work. We do not go around and try to examine and figure out what's going on in everybody's life and see what we can cause problem with. We are not interested in trying to put a webcam up in your home just so we can bust you on something. However, things are brought to us when things get out of control. When things become hyper unhealthy, they are brought to us. We then address the situation. Matthew 18 has a layout plan that if someone is harmed by someone else in the church, they are to go to that person first by themselves. If that person does not repent, they then bring a witness, somebody else. If they do not repent and they're still arrogant about it, they're to bring it before the church leadership. That stuff happens here. It's brought to us. We then examine it as elders and pastors and leaders. We talk to the person and try to set out a pattern of restoration, reconciliation, protection, and correction. If someone is still arrogant about it, and they're saying, I don't care what you guys think. I don't see it that way. I'm going to do my own thing. Guess what? You're no longer allowed to remain here. And we have them step out. Now, you need to understand that in the Bible and in Bridgeway, there is never a correction like that where there is not a heart for reconciliation. It is always for restoration of that individual. Now, out of boundary reasons, we may not allow that person to return. That doesn't mean that we consider them horrible, evil, hateful. We're not doing that. We are interested in their hearts, both the offender and the victim. We are concerned about both because Jesus died for both. Make sense now as far as divisions about how we handle things, let's get very practical There is a huge difference between someone that has a walk with the lord and someone that does not Our church is a mixed bag and you have to understand that We have folks here that are brand new to the lord folks that don't even know the lord They've been drugged here by someone else folks that are saying i'm just checking this thing out I don't call myself a christian. They are with us And they have every right to be here We want them here. This is to be a safe place for them. Do they operate off the same rules as we do? No, they do not. So no, we're not sitting there trying to say, you better clean up your life before you come to church, blah, blah. No, you come as you are. That's the point. However, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, go under the banner of Jesus Christ, say that you adhere to the principles of scripture, and then you're arrogant about your sin, flaunting it, and getting in someone's face, we have a problem with you. Additionally, there are other dividing lines Regular folks that attend this church and serve here Are one thing leaders Another thing we hold leaders to a higher standard that we then hold them accountable to choices that they make So understand there's a whole structure that's going on, but here's the thing Let leadership do their job It is not your job to go seek out and try to cause problems or go around and talk about what everyone else is doing in their lives That's not your job Let leadership do their job. If you see someone being harmed Let us know Because here's the truth If we ever get to a level where correction is brought down by our elders almost always It's an issue where you're harming someone else It's one thing to have internal struggles stuff that you wrestle with But if you're hurting someone else We're going to talk to you For example, let's use this scenario that there's some college guy who's Being a predator on all the college women And he's going around sleeping with them all breaking their hearts and just consistently doing that you think we're not going to have a problem with that You think that you're allowed to do whatever you want in our house? Absolutely not We will take you out. Why? Because it's unacceptable. It's not just about your challenges that you're having in your own heart. You're hurting other people and leaving a destruction wake. That's not acceptable. So you understand, it's really this heart that every one of us in the leadership want to exude grace. And I believe that we have a very open, authentic Grace filled environment for you to grow in and that's the hard part. How do you have Grace environment and authentic authentic environment with what holiness and righteousness? How do you have those two walking that fine line is very very difficult? Let's pick it up in verse three He said let's talk about how to handle this for though absent in the body I'm not currently in corinth at all right now. Paul said I am present in spirit. My heart's there. My head's there I know what's going on I'm with you and as if I was president like as if I was present like I was there in the leadership meetings I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. I already know what needs to be done You know what needs to be done So when you are assembled when you come together as a church in the name of the lord jesus doing it as he would And my spirit is present. My authority is there. I've already told you what needs to happen With the power of the lord jesus where two or more are gathered that passage is actually about church discipline You are now going to speak on my behalf when your church comes together You are to deliver this man to satan for the destruction of his flesh So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the lord What does that mean? Satan's outside there quick shove him out there (laughs) eats him up right how does that work? What do you mean hand him over to Satan? What does that mean? All right, couple things you need to know. Number one, it says, so that he may be saved in the day of the Lord. He's a Christian. Are we all tracking on that? This is not, oh, he has sin in his life, now he's not a Christian anymore. No, of course he's a Christian. Is he going to be saved in the end? That's the point. The point is to restore and to cleanse so that he might be restored to Jesus in a shiny fashion. So yeah, he's still a believer, even though he has challenges However, what are you handing him over to? You're handing him over to satan. What does that mean? It means excommunication out of the church. Here's something that we do not grasp in modern-day america We think that when we come to church, we just did god a favor You didn't do god a favor. You did yourself a favor why? Because to come into this place, to be a part of the body of Christ in a localized church means protection, support, prayer support, loving on, establishing friends, having a support system. All of that is what church is about. And we take that for granted. Well, they're getting into my business, hold on. They're protecting you. When you are outside in the world, the idea here is that Satan, for now, runs the world stuff. God runs the church stuff and when jesus comes back, he's going to take the world back from the enemy and get rid of him But for right now you want to live like the world you want to fight against god fine. Go ahead. Here you go You go ahead hang out with him. See how that works Literally the language seems suggest and he's going to rip you apart We'll take out all our protection We'll back away from you and just go. How's that working out for you? If you're going to sit there and hurt other people, we're not going to play that game. That was a discipline measure right? It says this, your boasting is not good. Why are you bragging about sin? Right? Do you not know that the little leaven leavens the whole lump a little bit? And we're going to use the phrase yeast, even though they would take leaven actually is a piece of the, the dough that was fermented and all that. We'll just use yeast as the same concept a little bit mixes through the whole batch and makes the whole bread rise, right? He's using that. And in scripture, Leaven or yeast always means influence For good or for bad This means negative Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump Now i've never seen that on a fridge lord make me a new lump That would be awesome. It it doesn't sell as well in the christian bookstore. I found Cleanse out the garbage in my life that I may be sanctified is what it's saying Because right before Passover, the Jews clean out their house from all yeast to really talk about the unleavened bread concept. The let's clean out all garbage in our lives, we get ready, and then we have the Passover where God rescues. Well, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed, so we should have cleaned out our house is what it's saying. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival... Not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth Now I wrote you in my letter pause what letter a letter we don't have It was a letter before this is called first corinthians. We don't have half corinthians We don't have that one. We're missing that one But in that letter he's like you guys do not associate with immoral people Well, unfortunately they misread that and they pulled away in an isolationist attitude Well fine, then we're not going to hang out with anybody. That's not a christian He's like come on you guys seriously, that's not what I meant No, you don't pull away from non-christians We're salt and light you engage with non-christians. That's not what I was saying what I was trying to tell you Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother that is guilty of of things like sexual immorality greed idolater reveler drunkard swindler do not even eat with such a one there's a couple things we need to see in that eating with means community establishing connections with it's not just a meal it's a community event notice that it says one who is guilty of a lot of rumors fly in human being connections First of all, it better be legit. Second of all, whenever you see a list like this in scripture, I need you to understand that it means habitual. Someone that is struggling with alcohol and stumbles, that doesn't automatically make them a consistent drunkard. Do you understand? Someone that is wrestling with sexual immorality, it doesn't automatically make them a fornicator. The idea is there are pattern behaviors that christians are just not allowed to embrace and be arrogant about that's a different ball game if someone is of that nature they're so contrary to their christian nature that you don't get a chance to encourage that and you separate and back up what do i have to do with judging outsiders non-believers what that's my jurisdiction the church doesn't do that we're not telling the world how to live We're not sitting there going I can't believe you're not living according to the rules of jesus The rules of jesus. I don't even know who jesus is It's it's silly. We don't do that For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Nothing. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Yeah Leadership is to judge the church. That's the point not individually. We're not judging one another that way We're saying that the leadership has to pass judgment on behalf of the church over believers inside God judges those outside. That's his business But as far as you guys go, purge the evil from among you. All right. Let me reiterate. We have zero interest in a witch hunt. We have zero interest in trying to find problems. We know there's sin in your lives. How do we know that? Because there's sin in every leader's life on this staff. We also understand struggle. We want an atmosphere where you will talk about it. Because if you are in an environment that doesn't, you'll go underground. And most churches are full of underground. They look good on the surface and all the same sins are occurring. We just don't talk about them. If sin is not talked about and it's underground, it then grows and the enemy wrecks havoc. I'm not willing to have an environment where we are having an iron fist I'm gonna demand everything on everybody to where everyone shuts down and goes internal I'm not willing to have an environment like that. I would much rather deal with chaos I would much rather deal with messy lives and oh my gosh, we're all messed up and what's going on with you and man your life's really weird and That's the kind of church I would rather have And I believe that's our environment here. However, Understand this Safety Is our highest priority You will notice that everyone is live scanned If you get near kids You'll understand we have boundaries About where people can go You understand that we have A huge security force watching Why? Because I want you to be able to focus on Jesus And not have to watch your back Does that make sense? Therefore What we are trying to do If we have to bring correction, understand that we will do so, but we don't want to. But if we don't, bad things happen under our watch, and that's not acceptable. Let me give you the closing challenge. Let's make this whole thing personal to you. You would look and you go, well, that's great for the church. What about me? Here's the challenge for you. Write a list this week. I don't want you posting it on Facebook. I don't want you... Right, and just like, I'm gonna share it with my small group. Okay, whatever, that's your business. Write a list of things that you currently struggle with that are affecting other people around you. Consider the impact of your choices and pray that God would lead you out of it. Now, there are some of us by personality or style or whatever, we have a hard time feeling that it's our fault. On how messed up we are we literally look around and we go man The reason why i'm so screwed up is because of my family or because of this or because of that It's my environment. All right, let's play a game And the game is if we had a pie chart and on your your handout, there's a blank circle Let's say we had a pie chart a brilliant question that was asked of me one time was this let's say 95% of everything going on in your life is External influence. It's somebody else's fault what 5% are you willing to own if you only had 5% that you go yeah that's totally me what is that 5% and if so how do we submit that 5% to the lord and lead about change let me close in prayer and we'll we'll step out for today heavenly father thank you for this morning thank you lord for walking us through some very difficult subject matter and passages And we just ask lord that you would be glorified in our midst that lord. I Know just as a man trying to teach a lesson like this It's embarrassing lord because I can just sit there and nail myself to the wall But lord, I just pray that you would help us to love one another to such an extreme degree That it begins to heal our wickedness In jesus name we pray Amen